Welcome to The Grinning Possum, a podcast about poetry, old-time music, geography, history, and interesting people who put their hands to work. I'm your host, Morris Manning. If it's homespun, homegrown, or just plain down-home, we tend to like it. We cover everything from leather breeches to thunder mugs, pokeweed to polecats, and a heap of critters in between. We can even promise the occasional shoeless ditty and witty oddity. Our aim is to go from this to this. From a plain and simple beginning to something lovely most any raw materials can make. Each episode pokes around a corner of Appalachian culture and tradition and wraps it all up in a frolic. As one old timer liked to say, if you've got an itchy ear, just listen at this. And that's all you have to do. Depending on your preference, you can go to Upper Chloe Creek or Lower Chloe Creek, or you can split the difference as we have done today, and I believe we are nigh to the confluence of Upper Chloe and Lower Chloe here in Pike County, Kentucky, and we are standing in the Church of God in Jesus' name with Chloe Creek flowing outside the door as we speak. This church is about 80 years old, built by the hands of one man. This is called To the Sons and Daughters of Ye. To the sons and daughters of ye, your father, Ulysses Sidebottom, not only foolishly insists that ye is a suitable variant of his given name, He is also determined to populate the countryside with varmint side bottoms just like you and poke his finger in the eye of moral decency and custom. We can allow an errant slip or misstep when it comes to procreation, but ye has redefined the term and pretty near exhausted its meaning. It's fair to say ye side bottom has rid his little whirly gig of profligacy around so often it's a wonder he doesn't have to give it a rest or leastways give it grease the depth or degree of turpitude when it comes to ye side bottom is higher than a cat's back on the peak of a barn on a way up ridge why ye would make a rooster blush if a rooster was ever known to blush Many a woman he's made dishonest in the marriage beds that ye has sullied only to abandon and leave you countless side bottoms absent a father and standing rung on the ladder of proper patriarchy would fill a maternity ward or hotel. There's not a man alive or dead who ever had a use for ye. To a man, in fact, We all agree that ye sidebottom is less company than a peptic ulcer, and his mind, if anything is there, has all the spunk of a claw hammer with the handle broken out and chucked, and on top of those fine attributes, ye sidebottom is obtuse. Common sense has never breached the dome he keeps under his hat. We have tried, and we have given up. Kindness and reason do not get through to ye side bottom, but with 
wondrous tally, apparently, a hotel full of women do. Not that any of us men folk are knotted up with jealousy, and not that his women all were beauties. I recall that one or two had goiters. A few were on the hairy side, as in they could have stood a shave, and one he sparked from Sand Gap, who said her name was Olma Cleaves. That's right, you bug-eyed varmints out there. No matter what she says, if your mother is Olma Cleaves from Sand Gap, Ulysses ye side-bottom planted the seed, and the seed is you. Olma resembled a cold biscuit and did not typify the look of other ladies from Sand Gap, many of whom were comely indeed. However, it must be said, a biscuit is a biscuit regardless of the heat, and if you top it with molasses, even a cold one is a treat. Shall he dwindle, peak, and pine? Slady Knave was a witch hag who conducted all of her hag work at night beneath the shade of trees in the dark freedom of night and gloom, and all for women wronged by their men who made for a sorry lot indeed. The trouble mostly was drunkenness, but sometimes drunkenness would lead a man to pay unseemly attention to a woman other than his own, and that was a line Madame Knave, as she was known when she donned her turban made from a dyed flour sack, strictly averred should not be crossed. On Sunday morning, a man might wail and beller about redemption, but by Tuesday night, the crooked way to a thumping copper worm in the wood had beckoned, and off he'd go on a tear. And that would send his woman to Slady for a few drops of get-home potion to be dribbled discreetly on his biscuits. The man would suddenly slump over as if dropsy had befallen him. A lonely cane presented the hope from a bitterly remote corner that he could move, but he could not. It was one of Slady's more effective measures. A thimbleful would keep the honriest man at home and snip for quite a passage of time the threads of his inclinations and wandering ways. If the trouble was lower down, however, Slady Knave had a potent resort, a gland-directed shrivel hex. She'd say a spell against the man, and doom would soon confound his loins, reducing his swelling, fulsome hope to a pair of dried-up peas encased in a husk of misery and shame. On the rarest occasions, though, when a woman's patience had reached the limits of travail and recourse to gentler methods had run completely out of steam, Slady offered a final concoction simply known as graveyard tonic. Mixed with molasses, its work was as slow as that kitchen table staple. Men and women alike are pleased to drizzle from a wooden spoon onto a slab of cornbread or cold mush. But woe unto that man who drizzles. First he comes down with a chill, and then he gets a red rash that sets his tender parts afire, and soon the shivers overtake, and so enfeeble his mind, a skipper festering in rotten meat would pass for sentient beside him. 
By then, it's just a matter of time before they haul him to the boneyard and plink the dirt on the pine top in a feigned ceremony of grief while other men look on and gulp. But rarer yet, old Madam Knave could summon from the dark one night a year, a single night in fall before the pall of frost, a tincture, an essence added to a goo so potent it would slay a man in permanent olfactory trance and make him blubber and moan and beg his woman mercy to take him back. As odors go, it was sweet but pungent, a tinge of butterscotch imbued with the musky spunk of old socks in sore need of a darning egg. It was high-dollar salve applied directly to the man, no poultice nor bag to wear around his neck. Hits pure hillbilly nard, Slady said, although she called it parfum de pawpaw, because the women who sought out Slady for her spells and special hag work believed if you could somehow attach something French in the name of something, it must be good. And parfum de pawpaw worked wonders. Under the guise of foot hygiene, of which there was an abiding shortage, the woman would uncork the bottle and slather parfum de pawpaw all over her man's dogs, as it were, including his bunions and fallen arches and any unsightly splotches or smudges betraying the places he had been. And the woman would rub it in with her hair, like Mary Magdalene of yore. His nostrils would twitch, and then he'd bleat and baa as gentle as a lamb. The trouble always was menfolk who plot and scheme and heist themselves above the wise and proper laws of nature, which is a special blasphemy, which Slady's hag work was intended only to nudge things back to nature, and nature being nature meant it was a constant study, and Slady was born with the gift to read the world as if it were a living book, and a man was no more special than a slug the way he slinks around, leaving an ooze of slime behind him. Although she cast her spells at night, the lamp of learning was always bright in the schoolroom of Slady's mind. At present, she was working on a mist. Oh, de persimmon vert, one squirt of which would fix a man and pinch his lips in perpetual pucker, returning him to upright nature, and all he'd do is pet and kiss his woman with newfound tenderness, assuring the happiness and bliss the woman all along desired and certainly deserved from such a forked creature as her man. That poem references the fact that when she's really doing her work, Slady Knave chooses one night of the year in the fall. And we happen to be at that very night, right in the middle of the harvest moon. Well, I went up to Jackson and stood up on the stair to 
said I went up to Jackson, stood up on the stairs. Well, I'm telling all you people, it's high water everywhere. So I went down to Black Air, but it was nothing there. Said I went up to Black Air, but there was nothing Come to Kentucky, you're bound to cuss and swear. Said if you come to Kentucky, you're bound to cuss and swear. Cause I'm telling all you people, it's high water everywhere. Well, I went to the church house, but it was washed away. The church house, but it was washed away. Cause the water kept rising and the church house had to pray. All you people were crying for the flood that can't compare. Said the people was crying about the flood that can't compare. All you sinners, it's high water everywhere. So I got me a boat and I'm sitting here on my chair. Yes, I built me a boat and I'm sitting here on my chair. Lord, I'm telling all you people, it's high water everywhere. Mr. the creek is rising on and it's a troubled sign. Said the creek is rising, Lord, it's a troubled sign. Cause that creek make a river when the rain comes down tonight. If you got your religion, it's time to say your prayer. If you got your religion, it's time to say your prayer. Cause I'm telling all you people, it's high water everywhere. When I went down to Jackson, stood up on the stairs. Said I went down to Jackson, stood up on the stairs. I'm telling all you children it's high water everywhere. Here in Chloe Creek, Kentucky, we have this feature of Kentucky geography that is known all over the state, but especially in eastern Kentucky, and it's where 
even a little creek has a name uh, and it's more than a name it's a place where people are and where they have been where some remain here's a poem that makes an effort to respond to that reality of our history and geography this is called the stranger he lives this side of Clover Bottom on the upper bank of Tinsley Branch before it runs around the hill to join the Markham Fork of the Salt, the other side of Stab. So if you get to where the old wagers place used to be before back wagers burnt down his own house when one of those spells he used to take had locked his mind on seeing things that just weren't there, you've gone too far by half a mile, so turn around. In fact... You might have better luck finding the man you're looking for if you go below where the wager's place was, beside the sycamore in that patch where the schoolhouse Jasper Rollins kept used to be on the other side of Tinsley, and come back this way until you reach the spot where the old bridge crossed the branch before the flood came up and flung it farther down to a place that didn't need a bridge at all. But there it sat for anyone who wanted to prance across a bridge that has no purpose in the world, though missing a bridge where it used to be remains a trouble. Stop there and call. He's an old man, but he's got ears the size of saucers, and they say there's nothing better in the world he likes than to sit and listen to it. They say when he was just a sprout, he was so ornery over school, he slung a skunk in the schoolhouse stove. And the stink was so bad, the scholars ran out, and the school was shut for the rest of the year. And that's why Jasper Rollins quit his line of work and took up plowing and left this country altogether. But the man you're looking for is the one we call the feller who remained. And no one recollects his name. Just go up there and call out loud to the mist and lonely holler land. He'll hear wherever you may be. After all, his big ears are a legend, and this one is a legend true. They say he never met a stranger, and he'll be waiting there for you. You've been listening to The Grinning Possum, a podcast from Kentucky. If you like what you've heard, please share it with a friend. Thank you kindly for your time, and keep it in your pouch. Sidebottom has rid his little whirly gig of profligacy. <laughs> profligacy. The Grin and Possum podcast is written and performed by Morris Manning. 
The show is engineered and edited by Steve Cody and is funded with a grant from the Kentucky Arts Council, the state arts agency, which is supported with federal funding from the National Endowment for the Arts. <laughs>